Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscamol, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy, and we are broadcasting to you from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. Going to do things a little differently this week. We will not have a Law 140 because, to be honest with you, I just haven't had the chance to put one together. It's been a hectic week at the office and a hectic weekend. And it's because I didn't realize that Thursday is Thanksgiving. I had no idea. I went grocery shopping and was wondering why the stores were so packed and then discovered that, oh my God, Thanksgiving is this week. So the courts are going to be closed this coming Thursday and Friday because of that, all of the work that we've got to get done bunches up in the days and the week prior, typically. So I just haven't had a chance to put a Law 140 together. I will have something for you the uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. I don't know what it'll be yet, but there will be no Law 140 for this particular episode. Uh, I also want to thank everyone who sent in suggestions, tips, corrections on how to properly pronounce the uh, the names of these different locations. I have learned that it is Elgin, Illinois, but it is Elgin, Texas. And somehow people in Massachusetts pronounce it Wooster. How the hell you get Wooster out of W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R, I don't know. But I'm not in New England. I do appreciate the corrections just the same. Please keep them coming. I'm sure I'm going to have uh, some more that I screw up in the weeks ahead. Uh, if you have not already, join the conversation online because that's where those corrections are at. The uh, The Twitter account is at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. If you want to leave a comment on the website, our website is Fiskamall.com. That is F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L.com. And if you want to become part of our patron community, you can join us at Patreon.com slash Fisk. That's Patreon.com slash F-S-C-K. All right. So I, I really don't know what has been happening politically this week because, as I mentioned, it's been rather hectic. Uh, there are three stories that I wanted to talk about briefly. First, of course, is our beloved Papaya Potus, Donald Trump himself, uh, and this whole story about the, the basketball players in China. So UCLA had a basketball game against Georgia Tech, and they played in Shanghai. Well, apparently, three of the players on the UCLA team decided that it would be funny to steal sunglasses from a uh, one of the shops near the hotel. Stupid idea. Shoplifting in general is dumb, especially when you're a person of color. It's extra especially stupid when you're overseas, but that's neither here nor there. Anyhow, the guys got caught and got arrested and eventually got released. And this is something that President Trump has decided is a very big deal that he wants a lot of praise and credit for. Uh, he has four separate tweets as of the time that we're doing this podcast. There may actually be more. Uh, but after the kids were released, he tweeted out, quote, Do you think the three UCLA basketball players will say, Thank you, President Trump. They were headed for 10 years in jail. Now, of course, the three students actually did have a press conference where they actually did thank President Trump repeatedly. Uh, one of them said to President Trump of the United States government, Thank you for taking the time to intervene. Uh, another one said... We want to thank the president, the White House, and the U.S. State Department for their efforts. So there's been praise from the kids, you know. But then that wasn't good enough. So he ended up having a uh, one of the dads of uh, one of the players 
pointed out that Trump really didn't do a whole hell of a lot. You know, the State Department does work, the lower level uh, bureaucrats do work, but the president doesn't really do much. Well, this, of course, offended our beloved Marmalade Mugabe, who wants to have the praise. Uh, so then he tweeted out, quote, Now that the three basketball players are out of China and saved from years in jail, LeVar Ball, the father of Leangelo, is unaccepting of what I did for his son, and that shoplifting is no big deal. I should have left them in jail! Exclamation point. And then just a few hours later, he tweets again, saying, quote, shoplifting is a very big deal in China, as it should be, five to ten years in jail, but not to Father LeVar. Should have gotten his son out during my next trip to China instead. China told them why they were released. Very ungrateful. Stop and think for a minute that you actually have a public servant, a politician, the president of the United States, essentially saying that he regrets helping an American citizen who is trapped in a jail of a dictatorship abroad because that American citizen's father didn't give him enough praise after the fact. This is this is disturbing. Now look, I've never served in elective office, but I did have a little bit of experience in student government during my college years, and I never really expected praise because that wasn't why I ran for the job. I ran for the job because I had ideas that I wanted to help get implemented. And we did. I mean, that was that was my praise. At the end of my term, people were like, oh, you got a lot accomplished. It's bizarre to me that you have someone who is in such a high office acting so small. You know, to become president of the United States, they call you the leader of the free world. It's a big job. And you are acting like a petty tyrant. It's disturbing as hell. So that is your yapping yam from the past week. Uh, Brett Talley, who is one of Trump's nominees for a lifetime job, a lifetime appointment as a U.S. District Court judge in Alabama. Uh, this is the guy, you've probably heard about him before. He's never tried a case, has no actual practice experience, uh, spent three years as a law clerk, essentially. Went to Harvard for law school, got out, spent out for three years, and now he's going to become a judge. Um, a lot of people have complained about the quality of his nomination because of the fact he never tried a case. I don't care about that part. My problem is the fact that he's only got three years of experience doing anything, which I don't think is enough. Uh, but then on top of that, it's especially problematic when he's most known for being a blogger. He's not known for being a great legal mind that was developed as part of this clerkship. He's known for writing a blog, talking about how terrible Hillary Clinton is and everything else. Well, in addition to that, apparently this guy is a ghost hunter. Uh, he's married to the chief of staff of the White House counsel that he failed to disclose in his paperwork that he had to submit. And as you would suspect from someone who's known for blogging, uh, he had a lot of posts on a message board online for uh, the University of Alabama's football team under a pseudonym that got discovered was him. Uh, and among the posts, he has lengthy comments defending the Ku Klux Klan and how great they are and how they're so different from the Klan that, you know, killed and lynched people uh, throughout American history. So that is your future U.S. District Court judge in Alabama. Keep an eye on that nomination as that proceeds. And then the, uh, the other story that I saw just, uh, I think it was last night, the Federal Communications Commission has voted three to two along party lines to end the Lifeline program. Now, if you've not heard of this, this is the program where they call them uh, Obama phones. You might recall that one lady that went viral on social media talking about she got her Obama phone. The Lifeline program funds those. It helps provide cell phones to people who are broke. 
But more importantly, it also provides subsidized internet access to people who are broke. And that is vital because you don't realize how much stuff is routed through the internet until you don't have access to it. You know, we've got students who get homework who have to be online to get it done. And I got into a conversation on Twitter about it because someone says, well, they can just go to the public library and use a computer there. But that type of statement, you have to think about the presumptions that are baked into just that one sentence. You're presuming that there's a public library somewhere nearby that's available during hours that someone can get to it, that that library has computers accessible to the public, that have internet access to the sites you need, and there's no time limit for it, and you've got transportation to get there. You know, it's something where for someone who is legitimately poor and needs these types of subsidies, we spend so much more on other programs to accomplish that same objective than we would just getting them internet in their home. We're already cutting libraries as it is. We already cut transportation as it is. We already cut all of this other stuff because no one wants to pay taxes. But then on top of that, we're going to try and take away internet access as well. It's, it's stupid. It's mind-bogglingly stupid and counterproductive. And it makes it harder for these people to, one, if they're young, get an education, get up to a point where they can go to college and get a job and provide for themselves. But then if you're someone who's a bit older and you want to get the skills that you need to get a better job than what you're working now or get a first job if you're unemployed, you know, we're taking that away also. So instead, they're going to get welfare payments, entitlements, whatever else to help make sure they meet some kind of minimum standard of livelihood when what we could be doing is working to give them a hand up instead of a handout. That used to be a Republican catchphrase, you know, a conservative slogan. Provide people the basics to ensure they have a roof over their head, food in their stomach, clothes on their back, and a way to get to work. And you do that, and all of a sudden, people can become self-sustaining. But instead, you've got the FCC just saying, fuck it, we don't need to have this program, even though you could actually save money doing this if you cut some of the other stuff like, oh, I don't know, social security benefits that we pay to people who aren't disabled. I didn't say that, strike that from the, uh, the recording. Uh, but seriously, we've got so many entitlements and other things that we spend money on that we could just trim a penny here, a penny there, and all of a sudden you've got the money to provide internet access to people, and we're not even willing to do that. It's, it's incredibly stupid. Uh, over in criminal justice stuff, so in court news... I've got two state-specific cases, but I'm lumping all the court stuff together. Uh, Northern District of Illinois, there's a lawsuit going on regarding a civil asset forfeiture of a car and other stuff. And it turns out one of the sheriff's deputies, a Sergeant Ron Hain of Kane County, uh, self-published a book under a pseudonym, got exposed that it was him, where he calls civil asset forfeiture, quote, a tax-liberating gold mine where governments could, quote, pull in expendable cash hand over fist and writes at length about the fact that civil asset forfeiture is not to stop crime. It is to be a fundraiser for the government. I'm not going to say I told you so, but I've told you so several times. Most of y'all knew that already. Uh, and kind of haha funny news in the Southern District of Indiana, uh, Gerald Jared Fogle, who was the, uh, the subway pitch guy who was a serial pedophile, flew around the world to have sex with kids, uh, filed a motion to set aside his conviction where he pled guilty, uh, arguing that he is now a sovereign citizen and the court lacked jurisdiction to convict him. That was thrown out, but I'm going to give you a link to the story anyway because the motion is amusing. 
Uh, in some general news, this is you know this is interesting. So the uh, the Department of Justice under Attorney General Beauregard had a press conference where they claimed that hundreds of MS-13 gang members had been arrested as part of a nationwide crackdown. They were calling it Operation Matador. Well, that was in The Hill, reporting on that. But CBS News had an interview on the program and talked with one of the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement officers. And the guy admitted that the people they're saying are, quote, MS-13, they're just saying that to stop the judges from giving them bail so they don't get released. There's this exchange where the reporter goes, quote, so his known crime is entering the country illegally. The ICE agent responds, correct. The reporter then goes, but that's it. That's all you definitely know. And the ICE agent goes, that's correct. The purpose of classifying him as a gang member or a gang associate is because once he goes in front of an immigration judge, we don't want him to get bail. Not that he's actually a gang member. What the fuck? This is ridiculous. Anyhow, uh, so that is in The Hill and CBS News. We'll give you links to both of those. Out of The New York Times, they've got a long read expose on 20 different states that will suspend your licenses, both your driver's license and your professional licenses, if you fall behind on paying your student loans. Uh, They have as the start uh, the story of Shannon Otto, who lives in Nashville, uh, they talk about the fact that she became a nurse. It's something she's wanted to do since she was 16. Uh, but then it turns out that she ended up getting uh, epileptic seizures. So she ended up not being able to work, fell behind on her loans. That's not unusual. Um, it happens more often than you would think. Well, it turns out that when she was able to go back to work, she got her medication to deal with the seizures or surgery. I'm not sure what she did. The story doesn't say. Uh, but what it says is, quote, Miss Otto eventually got her seizures under control and prepared to go back to work and resume payments on her debt. But Tennessee's Board of Nursing suspended her license after she defaulted. To get the license back, she would have to pay more than $1,500. She couldn't. I absolutely loved my job, and it seems unbelievable that I can't do it anymore, Ms. Otto said. Uh, That's crazy. So apparently there are 20 states that will suspend your stuff. Thankfully, North Carolina is not one of them, uh, because as I mentioned in my last podcast, I fell behind on my student loan payments because I was trying to take care of the dog. Uh, So I'm still a lawyer. Don't worry about that. Um, In the Center for American Progress... They have done, and this is a story that is so crazy. I thought that it was a, uh, a, I couldn't tell it was real. I thought it was a parody thing. Um, so apparently there are multiple people that compile different data on preschoolers. And one of these is the 2016 National Survey of Children's Health. And essentially what this Center for American Progress analysis did was look at all of this different research and found that roughly 250 preschoolers are suspended or expelled every single day from assorted preschools around the country. And we already have a bias evident in the data where it's mostly kids of color getting kicked out. Uh, The story that they've got says, quote, the Center for American Progress analyzed new data from the 2016 National Survey of Children's Health finding that an estimated 50,000 preschoolers were suspended at least once, and another 17,000 or so preschoolers are estimated to have been expelled. As with incarceration, consistent patterns of racial discrimination have emerged from each successive study of preschool suspension and expulsion. Yale University professor Walter Gilliam first identified them in his team's groundbreaking research more than 10 years ago. 
It was found that the three best predictors of preschool expulsion were the three Bs, big, black, or boy. That is, teachers are more likely to recommend preschool suspension or expulsion when the child is black, a boy, or is physically bigger than their peers. This new CAP analysis of the National Survey of Children's Health confirms these results. The data shows that black children are 2.2 times more likely to be suspended or expelled than other children. And while boys represent 51% of the preschool population, they receive 82% of these suspensions and expulsions. So we've talked before about the school-to-prison pipeline where children of color are disproportionately punished uh, for things that typically don't merit similar punishment if you're white. Now apparently we have a preschool-to-prison pipeline, uh, which it, it just, wow. There, there's a lot there to digest. I didn't even realize we had that many kids in preschool. Certainly didn't realize there were that many preschool kids getting kicked out and had no clue that there's racial disparities evident at that early in life. That's, that's, that's a mess. Um, out of the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, there's a new meta-analysis that was released. So essentially, uh, if you're not a research type, you you've, are accustomed to hearing me talk about research papers where they look at actual data and then come up with their thoughts. Well, a meta-analysis looks at all of those papers and kind of analyzes them and their methods and that sort of thing. Um, it's like an analysis of analyses, if you will. And essentially what they've done is they've taken a look at what they have called proactive policing. So things like stop and frisk, broken windows policing, that sort of thing, and tried to determine whether or not it's, uh, it works. So what they've concluded in this meta-analysis is that hotspot policing, this notion of clearing corners like you've seen in The Wire, uh, that is successful, generally. They've said that stop and frisk is not successful except where it takes place in violent crime hotspots, which probably isn't surprising. And they've said that broken windows policing works with things like clearing up vacant lots, but not for things that are quality of life infractions, which, again, not surprising either. Now, the interesting thing that they soft pedal in this analysis is that most of this stuff is unconstitutional. So stop and frisk stopped in New York because it was unconstitutional. Uh, so it, whether it works or not doesn't matter. If it violates the Constitution, you don't get to do it. Uh, but we'll give you a link to that analysis. Check it out. Out of Princeton University, uh, researchers Felipe Goncalves and Stephen Mello released a study confirming racial bias in policing in Florida, uh, where they look at traffic tickets and how police will reduce the speed that they've uh, got someone going as a way of that person avoiding higher fines. And what they find is that whites are more likely to get these breaks than minority drivers and um Good news is that 40% of the officers, that's the good news, only 40% of the officers reflect nearly all of the discrimination in results. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to any of you who listen. We've talked before about the website opendatapolicing.com that has millions of traffic stop data points for North Carolina, Illinois, and Maryland. And what you see is that same type of pattern in stops, searches, and that sort of thing where racial bias is clearly evident, but it's tracked to a less than majority of the officers. I don't want to say a minority of the officers because that leaves the impression that it's only a handful. It's a significant number, but it's less than half the force for sure. So we'll give you the link to that study out of the Urban Institute. 
this is not policing related, but it goes back to the conversation I had with Dave Fox and James Hankins a couple weeks back. And you might remember James made the point he wondered if it made more sense to integrate teachers as opposed to integrating students. And the Urban Institute has a new study that looks at the ethnic makeup of teachers and finds that most of them are white women. Uh, Only 2% are black men. But one interesting finding is that when you look at the students and the teachers that they have, uh, one key finding is that if a black male student has at least one black teacher in the third, fourth, or fifth grade, he or she is, or he, I guess, because we're talking about black boys, uh, he's significantly less likely to drop out of high school and more likely to aspire to attend a four-year college. Uh, this is something where representation matters. I mean, it's, it's obvious. We see it so often in so many other outlets. This is part of why, you know, President Obama, as much as I disagreed with his politics, you know, you might remember that photo of the young boy touching his head. And it was something where it's a small point that the President of the United States has hair like this little black boy. But that means a lot because it's something where if you tell a kid you two can grow up to be president and all they see in class is 250-something years of white guys, it's tough to believe that. You know, It's a little bit easier when you actually see it happen. Same deal with teaching. If you have a teacher who has a similar skin color as you, perhaps a similar life experience, it's not a surprise that there's a connection there that might be missing otherwise. So I'll give you a link to that study as well. Also, the U.S. Sentencing Commission, these are the same people who developed the Federal Sentencing Guidelines Manual, uh, released a new study confirming racial disparities in criminal sentencing. What they found is that black men who commit the same crimes as white men receive federal prison sentences that are, on average, nearly 20% longer. These disparities were observed, quote, after controlling for a wide variety of sentencing factors, including age, education, citizenship, weapon possession, and prior criminal history. We'll give you that also. In the state-by-state news, in California, in Los Angeles, LAPD... Oh, speaking about... This is the type of fuckery with MS-13. So, LAPD detective Frank Flores helped a known MS-13 gang member flee the country after he killed somebody. So, this MS-13 guy killed someone back in 2001. This LAPD detective helped this guy get out of the country. A sergeant who was on an FBI-led task force filed a complaint with the FBI saying, hey, this LAPD officer is fucking around. Uh, Basically, FBI did nothing. They sent the complaint to Los Angeles. The LAPD said that Flores had done nothing wrong. Well, a judge recently ruled that the complaint was discoverable information in a federal trial of two MS-13 defendants. And this knowledge that this complaint was made and no one did anything about it apparently spooked the U.S. Attorney's Office so much that they dismissed one of the cases and gave the other guy a sweetheart plea deal because you've got dirty cops that are fucking things up. Meanwhile, the brass in Washington are having press conferences about all the great work they're doing with Operation Matador. Uh, In Colorado, in Greenwood Village, there is a long-form piece in Reason Magazine about a pending lawsuit involving Leo Lech, whose home was basically totally destroyed uh, because a drug addict stole some stuff from a Walmart and fled and broke into this guy's home to avoid police. And he wasn't home at the time, but by the time he got back, the police had totally fucked up his entire house. Um, here's some quotes from the story. It says, quote, though accounts of Seacat, he's the guy that stole the stuff, uh, though accounts of Seacat's weaponry differ, 
Court documents provide a startling summary of the police arsenal. 50 SWAT officers bombarded Letch's property with 40mm rounds, tear gas, flashbang grenades, two armored bearcats, and breaching rams. A total of 68 cold chemical munitions and four hot gas munitions were detonated inside the Greenwood Village home. Remote-controlled robots were also used during the raid. The first robot was deployed to track Seacat's whereabouts inside the house and attempt to deliver a phone to Seacat so that he could directly communicate with police. However, the robot could not maneuver through the debris inside the home and eventually got stuck. To retrieve the robot, an officer attempted to throw a flashbang grenade upstairs towards Seacat to create a diversion. However, the grenade bounced back downstairs. I shouldn't laugh. The grenade bounced back downstairs toward the team of officers, forcing them to scatter and retreat. The official report states that the grenade failed to land in its desired location. No shit. Uh, eventually, a second robot was uh, was used. I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying to hold it together. This is fucking hilarious. Uh, eventually, a second robot was used to retrieve the first one. Uh, basically, Letch's home was totally destroyed. It was so bad that the city condemned it as being unlivable. They forced him to tear it down and build a new one. And when he went to the city to ask for compensation because they've destroyed his home when he wasn't there to get a petty thief who was trespassing, uh, the city told him to go fuck himself. They weren't paying a dime. So there's a lawsuit there that is pending. Uh, speaking of lawsuits, out of Longmont, Colorado, y'all might remember this story where the city, uh, the housing authority, partnered with Longmont PD to do what they called, quote, training exercises where they illegally searched the homes of people in a public housing project, in essence. Well, the city is going to pay $210,000 as part of a settlement with four of the residents whose apartments were illegally searched. Now, this is just the lawsuit against the police department. It does not settle the case against the Longmont Housing Authority. So the taxpayers there are going to be paying even more. So we'll give you a link to that story. Uh, in Rifle, Colorado, the Rifle Police Department is now training their drug dogs to ignore the smell of weed. Since weed is illegal in Colorado, we've mentioned in a prior podcast that it's no longer adequate probable cause to search. So they're training the dogs to now just ignore weed entirely and focus on other potential drugs. Uh, out of Florida, in Jacksonville, ProPublica has done an investigation that found that Jacksonville PD issues more jaywalking and other pedestrian tickets, so things like crossing the street diagonally or something like that. Uh, they issue more of those tickets than all but five counties in Florida, and 55% of those tickets are issued to black residents, even though blacks are only 29% of the city population. So there's a tremendous racial disparity, but the kicker is that most of those tickets that get issued are bogus. They actually did a, uh, a study of the tickets that were issued, cross-referenced it with Florida law, and found that a lot of these tickets were being issued were just absolutely no basis for them, should have been dismissed because the crime that was supposedly being charged was not actually illegal. And as part of this, I'll give you the link. You should check it out. They've got a quiz on certain intersections where people received tickets and whether or not it was legal or illegal to cross. And they give you options on what to pick. And, and basically I failed it. I mean, I'm not a Florida lawyer, so I guess it's not a surprise that I failed it. Um, but I took the quiz and I got every single one wrong. Uh, so it's definitely something that you should check out. It's an eye opening story. And again, it goes back to the point that the sole purpose of these types of tickets are not to reduce crime, it's not to reduce crashes, it's to raise money for the government without raising taxes. 
uh, out of Georgia in Atlanta. The Atlanta Police Department is apparently having trouble filling vacancies on the force, or so they claim. So they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on recruiting trips to Miami, New York City, uh, one of the spot Biloxi. I guess they do a lot of uh, gambling out that way, so they're recruiting at a casino. I don't know how that works. Uh, but we'll give you the link to that story. So rather than actually increase the pay of officers, give them some perks, something where it's worth taking on that job, they'll instead take these lavish trips to other states to try and do recruiting there instead. Uh, speaking of money getting spent in Worth County, taxpayers there are going to shell out $3 million for the illegal search of Worth County High School. So we mentioned a couple podcasts back that the sheriff had actually been indicted for sexual abuse along with two of his deputies because they did this search of every single student completely, you know, without probable cause, searched everyone, and then found out in the process that these deputies were basically groping the girls' breasts and their vaginas and everything else. So taxpayers are going to be on the hook for $3 million as part of a class action filed by the school kids in that case. Uh, out of Illinois, in Chicago, a Cook County judge has thrown out the convictions of 15 men in what's being called the first mass exoneration uh, after a corrupt sergeant was exposed. Uh, Judge Leroy Martin, this is a quote from the story, by the way. Judge Leroy Martin threw out the convictions of 15 men in what defense attorneys call a landmark decision and the first mass exoneration in Cook County. The men, who all served prison terms, claim they were framed by former Chicago police sergeant Ronald Watts and officers under his command. One of the men, Leonard Gibson, spent four years in prison and says Watts would demand money and then drugs and arrest the people if he was not paid. Four years ago, Watts was convicted of extorting money from a drug dealer who turned out to be an FBI informant. Prosecutors in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office said after reviewing the cases of the 15 men, the office didn't have confidence in the police reports and testimony. They asked the court to throw those cases out and said they are looking into several more that are tied to Watts' command. In addition to these 15 guys having their cases tossed, seven of the underlings who worked under Watts are now on administrative desk duty. Also, it's not really a news story, but it's something to check out. I noticed this on Twitter. Uh, there's an account. It is at CPDPBot, which I'd imagine is Chicago Police Department. I don't know what the other P is, bot. So at CPDPBot. Essentially, it's a automated system where if you tweet it the name of a Chicago police officer, it will tweet back at you the officer's disciplinary history along with a link to the data. It's really fascinating, so check that out when you can. It's at CPDPBot. Uh, out of Iowa, in Carter Lake, Charles Buterball was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for giving fentanyl to a guy. The, uh, he got caught because the guy OD'd and was unresponsive, and Buterball called 911 so he didn't die. Now, I don't have a problem with this conviction per se, I don't think. I mean, I think 20 years is a bit excessive for drugs. I've made that point clear before. But we got to think about the unintended consequences here because if you have a dealer who is going to face 20 years federal time for calling 911 because someone is ODing, what do you think they're going to do the next time? They're not going to bother to call. They're just going to let the person die. You know, so that's... 
I don't know. It, it just doesn't sit well with me. I, I, I'm not against it, but I'm not for it. We just got to think about how we're dealing with drug sentencing in general. So that's out of Iowa. Uh, in Kansas, in Topeka, two Topeka Police Department police officers uh, shot and killed 30-year-old black man Dominique White back in September. And they've shared almost no information with anybody. It's not really much public about it. They've not said anything to the family about the details. Well, they're now insisting that the dead guy's parents can't view the body cam footage, and they're saying that state law only allows his children to see it, uh, children being 3 and 13 years old. And this is part of a, this particular story was separate, but it's part of a broader issue of secrecy in Kansas in general. And the Kansas City Star this week has done a multi-part expose on all the different ways the Kansas government tries to hide information from taxpayers. So there's a segment on the body cam law restrictions as well. So we give you a link to the whole expose. You should definitely check it out. Uh, out of Louisiana, we've got two seriously fucked up cases. Uh, 65-year-old black man Wilbert Jones of Baton Rouge has had his rape conviction overturned. Turns out he spent 46 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Prosecutors withheld evidence that proved that he didn't commit the crime. Essentially, he was accused of abducting a nurse from a hospital, taking her behind the building and raping her. Uh, here's an excerpt from the story. It says, quote, the nurse who died in 2008 picked Jones out of a police lineup more than three months after the rape. But she also told police that the man who raped her was taller and had a much rougher voice than Jones had. Uh, the nurse's description matches a man who was arrested but never charged in the rape of a woman abducted from the parking lot of another Baton Rouge hospital just 27 days after the nurse's attack. The same man also was arrested on suspicion of raping yet another woman in 1973, but was only charged and convicted of armed robbery in that case. A prosecutor who secured Jones's conviction had a track record of withholding evidence favorable to defendants. A 1974 opinion by a state Supreme Court justice said the prosecutor was responsible for 11 reversed convictions the preceding year from the opinion, quote, an incredible statistic for a single prosecutor. So that's in Baton Rouge. That's bad enough. This guy gave up 46 years of his life for something he didn't do. Meanwhile, the actual rapist got to go scot-free, got a rape for free, if you will. Uh, but down in New Orleans, Kevin Smith spent eight years in jail for drug possession. Basically, there was a tip that he had cocaine in his house. State police and federal agents found baggies of crack cocaine in a safe in Smith's residence. He spent eight years in jail for that never actually made it to trial. They didn't even try the case, just dismissed the charges this week. He's been released and free to go. Spent eight years in jail for a crime that, by definition, he didn't commit because he was never actually convicted of it. Uh, I'll give you the story. You should check it out. But it's a very lengthy, long road of fuckery, and it details how totally bonkers the Louisiana criminal justice system is. I've said before that Louisiana is a floor-to-ceiling clusterfuck of clusterfucks when it comes to how you deal with criminal justice, and this case is another example of it. In Maryland, out of Baltimore, you might remember back in 2015, Freddie Gray died. Uh, he was arrested by police, put into the back of a police van, and somehow from when they arrested him to when they got to the police department, he ended up with a snapped spine. So he had a spinal cord injury. It was ruled a homicide. Uh, several of the officers, there were six in all, were charged with his death. And three of those charges, or three of those officers rather, were found not guilty by a judge. 
and the state's attorney dismissed the rest of them. That was back in 2016. The Department of Justice said that they weren't going to step in. That was this year. And then as part of this, it's kind of like a compromise for the fact that no one's actually been held accountable for anything. They were promised these officers would have administrative charges levied against them by the police department. Uh, well, now Lieutenant Brian Rice, who is the supervisor in that particular scenario, was in charge of everything going on, has been cleared of all 10 of the disciplinary charges that were levied against him by a police trial board relating to the incident. He's going to remain a Baltimore Police Department employee and will have absolutely nothing on his record to reflect the fact that he helped kill a guy. You know, this is the only accountability, if you can call it that, is that taxpayers funneled out a lot of money to the family to settle the wrongful death lawsuit, but that's it. I mean, no one in the police department has had anything even vaguely resembling accountability for their role in a guy dying. This is, this is really like, this is Roy Moore style accountability where the politicians will diddle you, you know, they'll diddle your wallet in this case, but then they just kind of hope it goes away. Nothing ever actually happens with it. And it's disgusting. I mean, a guy died. Whether or not he was worth living or not doesn't matter. He died. He was in police custody and died. In law, we have something called res ipsa loquitur. The thing speaks for itself. This guy was perfectly healthy when he got into the police van, and his spine was broken when he got to the police department, and no one is being held accountable for any of it. It's totally fucked up. But that's out of Maryland. In Michigan, in Macomb Township, a Dino Bucci... The Macomb Township trustee and former right-hand man of Macomb County Public Works Commissioner Anthony Morocco, that's a quote from the story if you couldn't tell, uh, was federally indicted on Wednesday in connection with a corruption scandal going on in the county. This guy was indicted for bribery, extortion, fraud, theft, and money laundering where basically he received hundreds of thousands of dollars extorting engineering contractors who wanted public contracts. And in addition to that, had county employees doing things like driving his kid to school and plowing the snow at his home. And this is, this is just a tiny township north of Detroit. This is crazy to me. Uh, also out of Detroit, <laughs> God, we've got a lot of funny stories this week. So we have, as you're probably aware, a lot of undercover operations across the country to fight the drug war. Sometimes you have police be undercover dealers where they'll arrest the addicts. Other times you'll have them be undercover addicts where they'll arrest the dealers. Well, they apparently had both at the same time, at the same location, and neither side knew about it. Uh, so the 12th Precinct was conducting a what's called a push-off near Andover. Uh, and essentially a push-off is where you're on a corner pretending to be a dope dealer. When people come up, you end up arresting the, uh, the potential buyers and take their vehicles and whatever else. Well, at the same time, so that's the 12th Precinct. At the same time, the 11th Precinct had officers who were pretending to be buyers, and they showed up on this corner where these undercover dealers are, and they both ended up fighting with each other. So then, after they got all that squared away, they went in to raid a house in Andover, but because they were still pissed off that their respective undercover operations had been botched, uh, they basically got into a fight with each other. Uh, quote, sources say guns were drawn and punches were thrown while the homeowner stood and watched. So that is out of Detroit PD. Uh, in Missouri, out of St. Louis, there was a viral video. First rule of fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. Uh, turns out the guy in that viral video is St. Louis Detective Steve Burrell, a member of the force investigation unit that helps look into when police use excessive force. 
essentially, there's a guy named Scott Smith who was in a car behind Burl. There's a green light. Burl's car wasn't moving, so Smith honked his horn because that's what you're supposed to do to get people to move forward. Well, Burl decided that he was going to respond by pulling Smith over. And he's on video recorded by Smith, uh, calling Smith a fucking jack off and threatening to, quote, tow your car and lock you up, among other things. So that is your police in St. Louis. Out of New York, another political scandal, the Corrections Commissioner Cynthia Brand. Uh, before she became the Corrections Commissioner, she was fined $6,000 for the improper use of a city vehicle, where she drove the car to shopping malls, Kennedy Airport, etc., etc. Well, then, in, in a classic case of, wow, I can't believe this shit actually happens, she got appointed Corrections Commissioner, and the day she took office, she had one of her subordinates go to his own bank account take out $6,000 of his own money, and use that to pay the fine for the improper use of a city vehicle. Uh, so that's out of New York City. Also out of New York City, there's a, a... I'm not entirely sure the full details because the article is in Spanish. I read a little bit of Spanish. I think I got the gist of it. I'm going to give you the link to it just the same. Those of you that are native speakers can grasp it better. Uh, but essentially, ICE is being given special access to New York City courts so they can arrest suspected uh, illegal aliens, regardless of the fact that they're there to use the court system. I mean, they're entitled to due process, too. If someone rips off someone who's undocumented, that person is allowed to go file a civil suit to get that money back. If they're charged with a state crime, they're entitled to show up and present a defense, whatever else. Well, apparently, as part of this story, uh, ICE has just been showing up and having these people black bagged and transported off to wherever else. So we'll give you that story. Now, also out of New York City, the Bronx Freedom Fund is a charity that helps post bail for poor defendants, and they've been operating for about 10 years now, and during that time, 96% of those whose bail was paid have returned to court without any extra prompting. Well, they're now looking to expand nationwide. They're going to pick a couple cities to start out, but they're going to see if they can take that same model and expand it. We'll see how that turns out. It's an interesting concept. Uh, out of Rochester, New York, City Court Judge Letitia Estacio has been jailed for violating her probation. Uh, she's a judge, was convicted in 2015 for DWI. As part of her probation terms, she has to wear a, uh, it's called a scram bracelet. It basically checks whether or not you've been drinking alcohol because you've been banned from drinking alcohol as part of your probation. Well, she refuses to wear it. And as part of that, she got brought back into court and was jailed for the probation violation, and that video went viral as well. So those are the stories out of New York. In Ohio, out of Columbus, this is not a police thing, but this is just a, a bit of irony. Uh, so State Representative Wes Goodman is a proud Republican. He's married, he's known for his family values persona, and his devotion to fighting against the LGBT scourge in this country. Uh, well, it turns out he's resigned, and he's resigned because he's gay. He was caught fucking another guy in his office uh, during business hours. So look, I, I don't care about what this guy does in his own time. I have no problem with anyone in the LGBT community. It's just fascinating to me how many folks are, you know, it, it's the people that are the most active in their bigotry, the most heated about it. They end up having the skeletons in their closet. In Goodman's case, it's because he's gay. You look at Roy Moore, he's so pious and everything else. Meanwhile, he's been diddling teenage girls for years. Um, this is just, it, it's hilarious and disturbing all at the same time. So that's out of Columbus. Uh, in Madison County, the probate court there is refusing to issue marriage licenses to anyone who's in prison. 
even though under the 14th Amendment to the United States fucking Constitution, you have the right to get married, even if you're in jail. That doesn't go away just because you happen to get locked up. So that is a, uh, a story that I'm sure at some point someone's going to get sued. They're going to lose. Taxpayers are going to spend money. And we all go back to doing what we've been doing for decades. Uh, and it's amazing to me that we still have people in positions of power. They keep doing this shit over and over again. Uh, in Oklahoma, this is fun. So y'all might remember Colbert, Oklahoma. I, I think I pronounced it Colbert last time and I got corrected. It's Colbert. Uh, this is the town that had the police chief who was the white nationalist. He was running a white nationalist record label and then was in a skinhead documentary and everything else. Uh, well, he was fired and they've hired a new guy uh, who turns out he's got a record of his own. So new police chief David Peterson uh, was actually fired from his prior job because he used a county vehicle for personal use, gave rides to people who didn't work for the county, was found to be at fault and cited for a serious crash involving an Antlers police car just days before he was fired, where he was responding to a, quote, creepy clown call. Say that three times fast. Uh, responding to a creepy clown call. Clown call. See, I told you I fucked it up. Uh, in his personal truck didn't tip off the police that he was doing so. So another officer started chasing him. That officer crashed. And then on top of it, in 2011, just six years ago, uh, Peterson was arrested for embezzlement after he admitted to taking a laptop, toys, and food from the Walmart where he worked. Just six years later, he is now a police chief. You'll be shocked to know that Peterson is white. Apparently, if you're white, you can get away with anything in America. Uh, in Pennsylvania, in Buffalo Township, Edward Kramer and Audrey Kramer, 69 and 66 respectively, nice old folks, were arrested as police ransacked their home looking for marijuana. After several hours, the Kramers were released without charges being filed because the marijuana they were growing turned out to be, drum roll, hibiscus plants. Yes, the plants that have the brightly colored flowers that are clearly not weed and don't even look anything close to weed. Uh, apparently, one of their neighbor's trees fell onto the Kramer's property at some point. The neighbor took photos of the hibiscus plants, sent them to the police, saying that there was a marijuana grow operation growing, growing on. Going on. Uh, a Sergeant Scott Hess showed up to the residence who was self-identified as an expert in marijuana plants. Uh, from the story, quote, When Mrs. Kramer asked Hess what on earth is going on, she was informed of the police's search for marijuana. Kramer explained that the plants were flowering hibiscus plants, but Hess, claiming expertise, insisted that they were marijuana. Police found no marijuana in the home or outdoors and released the Kramers from the police car. They were in the police car for roughly six hours, by the way. Uh, Hess admitted that he didn't think the plants were marijuana, but confiscated them nonetheless and labeled them, quote, tall, green, leafy, suspected marijuana plants. Uh, so that's in Pennsylvania. There will be a lawsuit there coming soon, I'm sure. Out of Philadelphia, police officer Eric Troy Snell has been arrested by federal agents for taking drugs seized by the Baltimore, Maryland police and then reselling them in Philly. So the... That's what it says. I swear to God, that's what it says. Sorry, Mike is expressing his incredulity at this story. Here's what it says. Quote, prosecutors say that Eric Troy Snell earned thousands of dollars serving as a conduit between corrupt members of a Baltimore police task force who stole the drugs 
and Snell's brother who sold them in Philadelphia. Investigators have also have accused Snell of threatening the children of a Baltimore officer who pleaded guilty in the case. So basically, Baltimore PD was shaking down the drug dealers, transporting the drugs up to Philly, and then they would resell them there. I mean, it's, it's bonkers. I mean, I guess give them credit, because if you're going to be criminals, they were certainly enterprising criminals. But wow, you, you've got corrupt cops in two separate departments acting as high-end drug dealers. It's crazy to me. Uh, out of York County, Pennsylvania, the York DA's office uses civil asset forfeiture to seize property more than any county in PA, uh, and the York Daily Record decided to do an investigation into this. What they found is that York County leads the state in taking vehicles through civil asset forfeiture, especially when you adjust for population size. But in fact, even in terms of raw numbers, York County reported taking more vehicles than Philadelphia, Allegheny, and Montgomery counties combined in fiscal year 2015-2016. Uh, in addition, law enforcement uses the power to take property from people for relatively minor offenses, including a woman who lost her Jeep because she tried to buy $150 worth of cocaine and a man who lost his car along with $852 in cash because police say they found drug paraphernalia in his home. So I'll give you that link. That's out of York County, Pennsylvania. Uh, over in Tennessee... This is another story where I, I, don't, I guess this is first rule of Fisk for sure. Third rule of Fisk, probably uh, third rule of Fisk. There are no new stories, just new names and jurisdictions. Uh, Nashville Metro Police Department Sergeant James Landon Dunaway, who is their drug sergeant. He focuses on the drug crimes. Uh, he's resigned and he's been charged with felony theft. Basically, an officer saw him pocket contraband when they were doing a drug bust at a house and as part of that, the department set up a sting operation where they said that him and a partner were going to go to a local motel and check out a room where drugs were suspected to be. Uh, unknown to Mr. Dunaway, they had hid $28,000 in cash around the room, along with four pounds of marijuana, and then had hidden cameras in place. Uh, basically, Dunaway was caught pocketing $5,000 of the $28,000 that had been spread around. So that's in Tennessee. In Texas, we got a bit going on down there. Uh, out of Dallas, Assistant District Attorney Jody Warner requested an Uber home when she was at a bar in Old East Dallas. And apparently she was so drunk that she punched the driver and insulted him repeatedly. And of course, all of this was on camera because that's what we expect. Uh, she says, for example, oh my God, you're an idiot. You are a legitimate retard. I want to go home so badly, but you're so stupid. I want the cops to come so they can fuck you up. That's what I want. So that's out of Dallas. So there's a, a link to that viral video. Out of Fort Bend County, we have Sheriff Troy Nels, who's apparently running for Congress, by the way. This will give you some insight as to what's going on. Uh, posted on Facebook a picture of a pickup truck with the um, decal on the back that says, fuck Trump and fuck you for voting for him. Uh, Nels posted on Facebook this snippet. He says, quote, I have received numerous calls regarding the offensive display on this truck as it is often seen along FM 359. If you know who owns this truck or it is yours, I would like to discuss it with you. Our prosecutor has informed us she would accept disorderly conduct charges regarding it, but I feel we could come to an agreement regarding a modification to it. Now, that's all bullshit because there's a Supreme Court case, Cohen versus California, back in 1971 where a guy was arrested for wearing a jacket into a courthouse that had, quote, fuck the draft on the back. And the Supreme Court said that was protected expression. So everything that the sheriff has posted is complete and total bullshit. Uh, well, it turns out 
in Texas, everything is stupider, apparently, because the woman who owned the truck, even though she couldn't get arrested for that, she did have an outstanding warrant for a totally unrelated crime, so she did, in fact, get arrested anyway. Uh, Nels has since deleted the Facebook post, and in addition to that, the district attorney for that particular county said that he could not find probable cause to arrest the woman for the decal, and he wishes the sheriff had consulted with him before running his mouth. Uh, out of Laredo, Texas, police have been pulling over drivers to give them Thanksgiving turkeys instead of traffic tickets, and this is the type of this is the type of PR stunt bullshit that the mass media loves. I mean, this is a story came from ABC News tonight. Like this was just the greatest thing ever. And it's, you know, the holidays and whatever else. People don't realize it still violates the fucking Constitution. The police have no authority to abuse their power to pull you over unless they have probable cause to believe you've committed a crime. You don't get to violate the Constitution just because you want to do a PR stunt and have it look good. All right. Every single person who participated in this and the supervisors who greenlighted it should all be fired. And frankly, the media who covered it like this was a good thing should be fired, too. Uh, so that's out of Laredo in Mesquite, Texas. Uh, unarmed black man Lindo Jones was shot twice by police. Uh, he was shot breaking into a truck. We're going to put a pin in that. Remember that point, breaking into a truck. That's the official story. Uh, within 10 seconds of police showing up, they shoot him in the abdomen. 10 seconds is not a long time. You can stop and think how long it is. This story won't even be done in 10 seconds. Um, but they end up shooting him in the abdomen. They put him on the ground, handcuff him, then decide to do a cavity search while he's laying on the ground bleeding. No evidence that this guy's on drugs. Supposedly, he's breaking into a truck. Uh, and then in the process, they shoot him in the back. So he gets shot twice. Well, it turns out the truck that he was, quote, breaking into was his own truck. So he had it locked and couldn't get in. So he was trying to get in without having to call AAA. Uh, he was in the hospital, handcuffed to his bed for six days with no charges. On day six, police charge him with evading arrest, but then the charges are dropped later that afternoon. So they go through this whole fucking song and dance for nothing just to give him a record to show that he's been charged with evading arrest at some point. Uh, so now he is home. So this guy got shot twice, cavity searched for breaking into his own truck, held for six days in a hospital, handcuffed to a bed, charged with something that was later dismissed. Basically, the people in Mesquite, Texas, either don't know what the fuck they're doing or know exactly what they're doing, and I'm trying to decide which one is worse. Uh, out of Virginia, the York Pocosin County Sheriff's Department has a deputy, Gene Browning, who works as a DARE officer in the local schools trying to stop drug use. Well, she decided that for Halloween, it would make sense to mock Florida Congresswoman Frederica Wilson. She's the one that was involved uh, mentoring that guy who was in the Green Berets who was killed that Trump got into a fight with. Except rather than just dress up as Frederica Wilson, that wasn't good enough. She decided to wear a blackface as well. Uh, of course, there was a photo that went viral because that's the type of shit that goes viral. And then the police department has released a statement saying, quote, the combined intent of the couple was to portray how funny it would be for two political figures who were at odds with each other to go to a party together. The police chief added that the costumes were not intended to mock Wilson and that uh, Deputy Browning is remorseful. Well, here's my question. Remorseful for what? You can't say on the one hand you didn't do anything wrong, but then on the other hand you feel bad about it. Stop talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's not appropriate to wear blackface. 
That shit should be obvious at this point. Hasn't been appropriate for the better part of a hundred years or so. You can dress up as Frederica Wilson without painting your face to look brown. That's out of Virginia. Out of Washington, Whidbey Island, Navy pilots apparently spend their day drawing dick pics in the sky. Uh, this is, there's actual pictures where they're flying the jet around in the shape of a penis, a sky phallus, if you will. Uh, out of West Virginia, in Cabell County, a Michael Joe Adkins. This is some sick shit. So he rapes a 15-year-old girl, gets her pregnant, then conspires with his wife to force the kid to have an abortion. Uh, well, it turns out he pled guilty to incest and is not going to get any jail time. He gets five years of probation and that's it. You will be shocked, shocked to find out that Michael Joe Adkins is a white guy. Uh, so that's the state-by-state state news. Every now and then we cover stuff in a foreign country. Uh, out of Sarce, I'm probably butchering that. Apologies to my listeners in France. Uh, well, a cop in France was told by his girlfriend that she was leaving him. So to respond, he shot her in the face, shot her mother, shot her sister, shot and killed her father, and killed two other people uh, before turning the gun on himself. Apparently French cops are fucking insane as well. Uh, so, folks, that's going to be it for the criminal justice news this week. Again, we will not have a Law 140 for this episode because I just didn't have time to put one together. Hopefully, I will have one for you next week. Before I let y'all go, I hope all of you have a chance to enjoy this Thanksgiving holiday with family, loved ones, friends, whoever it is. Um, I'm thankful for all of you that you've listened to me for going on, what, six months now? We started this back in May, so this is six months in. Uh, I appreciate all of you greatly. I appreciate the tips on new stories. I appreciate you spreading the word about the podcast. To our patrons, I appreciate the cash that y'all donate, so I'm not going in the hole to keep this operation running. I know Mike appreciates it because he can go buy a Thanksgiving turkey and whatnot. Um, but I just want to say thank you to all of you. I hope you have a tremendously great week ahead. And on behalf of myself and Mike the Sound Guy, have a blessed week. I'll talk to you next Monday. 